On this week's 51%, singer and culinary artist Liz Wright talks about a range of topics, including what it means to sing joyfully. It's powerful to express joy. It's, it's African, it's black to express joy. Joy is a power of work. Joy is a power of perseverance and hustle and a kind of grace. I'm Allison Dunn, and this is 51%. Grace, That was a clip of Liz Wright singing Grace from her 2017 album of the same name. This time on her 51% segment Force of Nature, Dr. Sharon Uffberg interviews Wright, who is an internationally acclaimed jazz singer and recording artist. Alongside her successful music career, Wright is a professionally trained chef and devoted gardener. Her most recent undertaking is culinary director of Carver 47 Food and Wellness Market inside the Little Black Pearl Art and Design Academy on the south side of Chicago. Uffberg wanted Wright to share her story and how she developed her passions. I have, uh, in my whole adult life, been trying to figure out how to relive uh, the best parts of my childhood and how to design a career that allows me to have all those pieces that I remember having with my family. Um, my father is an avid gardener, and he we lived on two and a half acres uh, growing up in middle Georgia. And um, he, we grew most of our food. We grew uh, an incredible variety of food for uh, a pretty small plot. And um, I remember my father just bringing things in and cooking, and then we would go to church um, on Sunday, but also there would be Bible study, and, you know, between that and him being a, uh, you know, retired military guy who still worked on a base as an aircraft mechanic when he wasn't preaching, there was so much structure. I mean, I was moving from, like, doing homework to, like, learning how to have a budget with my allowance and uh, working in the garden and cooking. Um, you know, Dad's goals were for me to be uh, marryable <laughs> in his in his terms. But he ended up teaching me a lot of the, the skills and the uh, relationship with community that I have now. And so singing and growing food and preparing food has been uh, a, a real kind of constant rhythm. And it's been one kind of wheel in my life um, instead of, you know, several careers. It, it's it's just how I grew up. I know you had this classic music training. Um uh-huh. And you succeeded in that, and but you had mentioned that you always had this dream of having a cafe as a teen. Um, talk a uh-huh. little bit about how you ended up in cooking school and how that unfolded. Well, I remember when my father taught my sister and I how to cook. Um, you know, he had his intentions, but I loved the idea of being able to feed the family. And once I learned how to make some breakfast items, I remember I used to get everything ready and then I'd knock on everybody's doors and wake them up. I'd go around the house and just and hit the doors and learning how to put a balanced meal together um, was really fun and I loved being around my family before I went out the door to school. It helped to reduce anxiety. I noticed that it made me feel better. So I learned how to cook because it put me in circle with my family in the morning. And uh, I also remember, you know, just uh, meals with the, my dad's small congregation. 
uh, after church, a few of the women would go to the back and they would have this buffet prepared and heaven help my dad if he decided to preach too long and we could smell butter beans and ham <laughs> coming from the back. It was a wrap. So, you know, again, all of this stuff really comes from, um, you know, how I, um, I grew up and I think, you know, I really owe a lot to, to, to my father for introducing me to these pieces as one life because otherwise I would be quite worried about um, what could look like running in several different directions at a time. And I did. I went to, I left uh, my home in middle Georgia where I grew up and I went to uh, Atlanta and I studied with Dr. Dwight Coleman at Georgia State University. So I was downtown Atlanta learning how to sing classical, uh, you know, voice and I was singing the Italian arias and um, learning how to work my voice like an instrument for the first time which turned out to be great because I would not have stood a chance uh, by the time I got a record deal at uh, 21 years old and started uh, touring. I wouldn't have known how to get um, power out of my instrument without using only muscle and really kind of over singing. So it was great um, to have studied classical voice. And I remember also for a brief time studying with Dr., um, Dr. Richard Harper from the New School in New York um, and he had me singing spiritual, so it was really this kind of coming together of gospel, my gospel roots and my classical training. And it was just such a great send-off into my career um, to really have, you know, some real technique underneath me so I could have some longevity and have the energy to figure things out. I know that when you were in New York is when you got inspired to go to cooking school as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. I went to the Natural Gourmet Institute in New York. It was in the Flatiron District started by a Dutch woman named uh, Dr. Anna-Marie Colbin. And uh, Dr. Colbin really believed in food as medicine and food as an art form. And most of us graduates from uh, NGI went on to be personal chefs. But some of my classmates actually have similar businesses. I remember talking to my friend Dan in Toronto, um, my classmate, and he had a very similar business, and he really offered me a lot of support and advice uh, as I was changing the model of Car 47. Um, he even advised me to, you know, small things, but they seem small, like letting the staff be off, you know, two days a week and sharing common days off so that I could build a culture like where we really cared for the people who are serving the food, not just those we're, we're serving. So it's really been a, a very interesting journey that I've, I've been on. Um, and it was great to take a chef's training course that didn't take me off of the tour. I remember uh, it was a seven-month uh, chef's training course, and I got a uniform and had a test my first week. And I only ever missed class through the whole course uh, to do a concert in Dubai and then once to sing at the Kennedy Center for um, Senator Ted Kennedy for his, his last uh, birthday gala. Wow. You see, but that's amazing that you were able to stay, you know, in school while you were still, you know, proceeding along with this pretty incredible music career. But I know life changed a bit after you finished cooking school. I know that you were um, still touring and performing. And then you Mm -hmm. were invited to this Black Pearl Art and Design Academy in Chicago to perform at a fundraiser. Um, and tell us that story. And then you met its founder, Monica Haslip. So tell us about a little bit about the, 
Academy and your initial involvement in the garden, and now I know uh-huh. you're the chef at the wellness market. So tell us a little bit about that story. Sure. Um, when I left uh, the Natural Gourmet Institute, I got launched right into a tour that was a tribute to Nina Simone. And I was doing that tour with a, a band made up of some of her original band members and some also really amazing musicians who were on the scene at the time, um, like Terry Lynn Carrington. So I um, I was surrounded by amazing musicians, and yet all I could think about was food. So <laughs> it took a while to kind of pull my head together. Um, but it turns out that Angelique and Diane uh, Reeves, uh, while amazing accomplished vocalists, are also amazing cooks. So I was in tremendously, uh, you know, supportive company. And so I went from there to um, – I did that tribute tour to Nina Simone for a couple of years, actually about three years – and on that tour, uh, I met a, a beautiful man from North Carolina, and I just got involved in, like, trying to figure out how to move back down south and grow food on a piece of land that I was responsible for. So I got into that, and then I figured out how to grow food and, and be on tour. I realized that I, if I had the right techniques and I really understood the seasons and how plants work and how my local climate worked, I didn't have to hover over the garden. I could come up with a system of, like, maintaining it but also letting it kind of respond you know and just um so i would go on tour and i come home I'd, I'd be gone for maybe uh you know two to three weeks at a time and um and learn how to nurture a garden on that schedule and i had i had some help as well and while i was touring like this i managed to come to little black girl uh art and design academy because terry lynn carrington um a grammy award-winning drummer and one of my mentors was a musical director for this show called Black Unplugged. And basically, Little Black Pearl Art and Design Academy is a high school and community center right here on the south side of Chicago. And it's been here um, in this beautiful building at uh, East 47th and Greenwood for about 13 years. But the whole thing started 26 years ago uh, in the basement of the, uh, in the founder's basement as an after school program. So basically, I went to this community center dash high school. Um, that's immersed in the arts, and I went with this company of artists. It was Esperanza Spalding, Nona Hendrix. It was really a crazy group of people, and and uh, we did this production um, to honor the members and donors of this school and community center called Black Unplugged. So we do this show. We sit in on some of the classrooms, and I'm terrified because I've always been told that, you know, the young people in Chicago were just, you know, really dangerous and emotional and all this stuff. But I was so moved by the energy of Little Black Pearl, the design of the space. Uh, it was a beautiful limestone front, and um, it has an incredible atrium with a lot of natural light coming in. There was a lot of rounded wo- uh, wood inside the building, really beautiful architecture design. And I met the founder, uh, Monica Haslip, and I realized quickly that everything happening there was like a tributary, uh, you know, just flowing off of her heart about how she saw people, even by calling the place Little Black Pearl. Um, and when she explained that that's how she sees the children of her neighborhood, and that's what inspired her to come up with the name, um, it just moved me. I mean, I went really deep into it. Um, and I remember telling her, like, hey, I love what you're doing. Um, I can read, I can run, I can write, I can cook. I can do a lot of stuff, so how can I help you guys? And uh, over time, I did a couple more of those concerts uh, with Terry Lynn and other artists because Little Black Pearl has a festival. 
So as I got to know everybody, I, I asked if I could join the board, and then I asked, and I saw that they had a beautiful uh, little alley of uh, raised wooden beds as a, of, of a garden that had just not been tended for a couple of seasons. I asked if I take it over. And the kids started sneaking out of class to help me, and I was absolutely terrified to talk to them. Um, but they were so inquisitive, and they were so accustomed to everybody in the building belonging to them and really loving them and knowing them. So they really sawed me out um, very quickly, and I fell in love with them. And uh, one thing led to another, and I remember as I began to befriend Monica uh, Haslip, we talked about how there used to be a cafe in the building and that there weren't, there wasn't a rep- um, any kind of culinary art program uh, at the school. So we decided that we would uh, rekindle that and that we'd use it to tell the story of a, a black American icon like Dr. Carver. So, you know, one thing led to another. We started the research on Dr. Carver. We were blown away to find out that he was about much more than peanuts. He had some amazing friendships with some highly influential people of his time, and his contributions far exceeded, uh, you know, the patents that he made time to secure because he really didn't care about that. So with some digging, we found out all this great stuff about him and just built him into the design of Carver 47. And it's all about having high-quality food um, and a beautiful home-style culinary experience available to this really beautiful and diverse community. And to get these kids exposed to their neighbors by a really beautiful experience um, that re- that reconciles everybody of, like, high-quality, beautiful food that's at an accessible price point. It sounds so inspirational. <laughs> I mean, I know that this was back in 2017 that you became the lead mm-hmm. chef and you opened up this dream cafe with food inspired from your southern roots and you know, you and Monica fell in love and got married. And so this whole community mm-hmm. work and personal life kind of all came full partnership. Were you yes. able to continue to sing and perform while you, you know, pursued this whole, the Carver 47 dream restaurant? Yes, I was. I was concerned at first, you know, it's funny, Sharon, every artist um, at some point, ask themselves a question if they if they've had a career that's lasted more than five years. They ask themselves, Can I make good music if I'm happy? Am I interesting <laughs> if I'm happy? Um there's so much great music that has come from times of being alone and, and really longing from th- for things. Longing is a kind of superpower in the world of, you know, art and, and, and expression. So I I myself wondered if I could continue creating and, and, and touring uh, if my life was changing and I wasn't alone all the time. And to tell you the truth, I remember I remember being on stage in Germany uh, as I got into this relationship with Monica and I started falling in love with these kids and I realized that I belonged to people. I was on stage and I could hear myself thinking while I was singing, um, you know, can I do this? Like, do I deserve this? Or am I doing something wrong? Like, is it okay for me to be happy? And I just felt this other voice inside myself like, you know, I have no use for your guilt. Look at these people in front of you. Just serve them. You know, this is what you were made for. You know, I, I there's no, your guilt is not useful. And and I was just, I remember that moment. It just, it's crystallized in my mind. And uh, I have to really continue to try to live in courage and allow myself to design a life and career that, makes me feel whole and it gives me the strength 
to continue serving people in all these ways that, uh, you know, God has blessed me to do so. And again, it all does lead back to my childhood because I guess my father kept me busy and, and made my capacity for serving, you know, a bit unusual. Um, but it feels like home to me to be cooking and to be singing. And um, I'm excited about the journey of making this one career. It's beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful vision that you can, one, you know, be a singer, a happy singer. And that I wonder if that, does that tend to be a, a very female response to singing that you have, that your creativity comes from suffering or loneliness? Or is that a artistic myth about being creative and singing is that non-gender i'm curious what you i think it's a non-gender thing at the same time though i i do remember uh one time in europe a journalist told me this just had nothing to do with the story but he he said you know i talked to a fellow journalist and she said she doesn't like happy singers he thinks that uh happy singers don't have anything to say and i said well you know people who need to hear me only when i have life's foot on my neck I'm not people who can really hear me. <laughs> that's just a part of me. When I'm sad and my heart is broken, um, that's somebody's song, you know, coming out of me. And yet when I'm joyful, you know, that deserves a sound too. And I, I do think it's more of an artistic thing than a sex thing. Um, though women have definitely been uh, put up on a pedestal of being always, um, you know, just kind of um, subjected in, in, in all kinds of ways. But I do think it's, it's powerful to express joy. It's it's African, it's black to express joy. Joy is a power of work. Joy is a power of perseverance and hustle and a kind of grace. Um and it's 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 a it's a part of my legacy as an American. I so I, I could never give it up, you know, and it's not about like a a blind kind of, you know, golden sunlight happiness. It is like a, a gratitude for just being here. You know, I don't have to be uh, aching and falling apart and in a state of longing and discontent. Um, and in fact, you know, I find a lot of people who don't have much um, use joy as this kind of power. So I, I think just the way that I've looked at it um, was this kind of a borrowed view. When I when I go back to what I know, uh, you know, joy and even happiness has been more about the energy to persevere and to get up every day and to remember what it's all about and what makes me feel a sense of purpose uh, and peace and just trying to live that life and letting the music from that life come out of me with no no hindrance. You know, that's kind of, you know, the point for me. I think, you know, it's it's clear that your creativity and courage is really part of your success. And, you know, when the pandemic hit, and the cafe closed, which was just a year you know, ago in March of 2020, you uh-huh. did have to reimagine and you did have to begin again figuring out how to serve that community. Can you share what it was that you did that actually really turned Carver 47 Food and Wellness Market, you know, into, a, again, a vibrant community home? Um. Yes, you know, when when the pandemic first hit, I remember pulling all of the beautiful breads and cheeses and meats and fruit, um, all kinds of stuff out of the all the storage units. And I remember 
organizing it all in the cafe, which was a you know a dine a dine-in experience when we were open at first. I took everything out on March 16th of last year, and I I invited the staff to take what they wanted, and it looked like a grocery store. It was just beautiful when I saw everything that we were serving everyone else. In that form, it looked like a feast. And watching the staff take it home, and we all started this journey of being in this space of not knowing what would happen next and living in our pajamas for weeks and sleeping in and trying to figure out if the world was actually ending or not. During that time, I got a lot of rest, and I started to think about what my limitations were, and I started to think about um, what was beautiful about the weirdness of the pandemic. Number one, I was at home. I had to figure out how to have certain kinds of adventures and joys at home and just to feel, you know, sane. I also realized that I was really nervous about going to the grocery store. That was something, it it became a real production of like putting a mask on and putting latex gloves on, um, trying to, to keep the hand sanitizer near. All of it was just so like extra. But I said, you know what, Monica, I think when we reopen, we should think about being a small grocer and actually having a a market that makes it easy for people to take a combination of like prepared food, flowers, and home goods to their homes to unpack a culinary experience that's beautiful because that's the only place where we can socialize now. So we came up with this model of having a, a market and then the, you know, the kind of cafe bistro menu that we've always had. And also the third part was these weekly um, composed meals that we can prepare for one person or two, you know, four to six or, or six to eight. Um, that was really about the opportunity for the family that was kind of stuck together, finding a way to enjoy that and still being able to have, you know, a culinary experience um, that they could easily unpack and reheat at home. And that worked. I mean, it's still going on. It still continues, correct? It is. And what I'm really happy about, Sharon, is that in the weirdness of the pandemic, we got blessed with some extraordinary talent in this food city. Um, Chicago is a serious food hub in the world, and there was just a windfall of talent, you know, people who were looking to cook for anyone because that's what they love. They did it as a calling. They were like... The interviews I had um, were amazing, and I had such a windfall of beautiful resumes of highly skilled people who had been trained and gone to school. Some just got out of school, and we were a small uh, restaurant, so it was difficult to, to, to get through all the, the interviewing. And when I, when I did, I had this group of people who were so passionate about food and were so excited for the opportunity to serve the community with their high-end um, experience and, and education. and um, it has left us with a really um, a high mark that's accessible. You know, it really makes like home style cooking um, a real culinary experience. So I'm excited about that. It's really brought the neighbors back out. They were wondering if we would make it uh, and reopen, and they're so relieved that we're here. So I, I just I love seeing them, and I love talking to them, and uh, you know, trying to figure out how to continue developing our are offering, but it's definitely all about communion and, uh, you know, learning from this neighborhood um, who these people are and what what they really need. So it's a lot of fun as a Southerner. There's lots of Southern transplants here in Chicago. Um, This feels like home, you know. 
And you turned your home space into a recording studio at the same time, right? You're still singing. I did. I did. It's a mess over around the piano. There's uh, light stands and microphone stands. And uh, yes, their their technology has really, uh, you know, boomed in a weird way here because I now have an engineer, which I didn't have before, um, a personal engineer who can just take over my Pro Tools account, and I've been on people's records. I, t- I sang on Lettuce's record. I sang for, you know, um, I, I, I sang for several people, and I'm participating in the San Francisco Jazz Collective. So I'm sending, um, you know, uh, scratch vocals back and forth so we can arrange music. So it's everything has changed, you know. Well, you shared with me um, your description of your courage to live the shape of your spirit. Well, I got to say, first, what a pleasure it has been to to speak with you, Sharon. Um, and I really, uh, I really am thankful for the opportunity to do interviews like this. There are some people who ask questions, and there are people who are gifted at creating a real uh, curation of information that that almost shows the the storyteller their life in a light that they haven't thought about. You know, so I really thank you for that. And as far as courage goes, I. Um, I'm just really thankful for the the tenderness and the humility that my own journey of of love has taught me. I mean, I come from a a very religious family, uh, and they have had a very difficult time accepting my relationship. And even in my even my additional kind of career, in a way, everyone assumed that I would uh, only sing and at some point become a minister. And uh, while there's always some aspect of ministry to what I do. Um, and I'll always be singing, um, you know, this is really who I am. So finding a love in this world that believed in my own determination to, to be myself was was a miracle of, it, of itself. You know, I really, I'm very thankful for Monica and her vision. And I'm thankful for what she's taught me about people. Um, a lot of us artists tend to be introverts and highly sensitive people. And she has taught me how to have a more grounded existence and really find um, great inspiration from belonging to people and interacting with them and serving them with my bare hands. And it's, I still tremble every day over something because <laughs> I'm still sensitive, but I have figured out how to function on top of all of that um, information. And I just am so grateful uh, for this life of fullness. And we thank you so much for being here. That was Liz Wright. And this is Dr. Sharon Uffberg on Force of Nature for 51%. Dr. Sharon Uffberg is co-founder of the personal development wellness company Borrowed Wisdom in California. That's our show for this week. Thanks to Tina Rennick for production assistance. Our executive producer is Dr. Alan Shartok. Our theme music is Glow in the Dark by Kevin Bartlett. This show is a national production of Northeast Public Radio. If you'd like to hear this show again, sign up for our podcast or visit the 51% archives on our website at wamc.org. This week's show is number 1654.